welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 32, Consecration. So I'm doing, recording the episode kind of at a different time of day today, and it's a little bit noisier. So hopefully, I'm hoping you guys won't be able to hear the noise, but if you do, I'm sorry, and hopefully you can overlook that. Um, This week covers Doctrine and Covenants sections 41 through 44. And this is a time period of the church that involved some significant growing pains. And as we learned last week, Oliver Cowdery and Parley P. Pratt were on their way to go go west to preach the gospel to the indigenous people. And they stopped by Parley's old minister, Sidney Rigdon, and taught him the gospel. And after he was baptized, Sidney Rigdon, Rigdon, sometimes that one's hard for me to say. I don't know. Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon. Say that five times fast. I dare you right now. Pause this. <laughs> um, Sidney Rigdon aided in sharing the gospel with much of his congregation, which resulted in hundreds of baptisms, which is awesome. But then he headed east to go meet Joseph Smith because he had questions. And then the missionaries had moved on to go further out west. And that left hundreds of brand new converts with basically no instruction or direction which led to some confusion and a little bit of craziness. You should go read about some of that and kind of some of the interesting practices that these young, young in the gospel anyway, saints started to adopt and some of the people who started to feel as though they were getting revelation. It's very interesting. Um, You should go read about that. Um, But pretty soon thereafter, Joseph and Emma, who was pregnant with twins, made the trek and arrived in Ohio as the Lord had commanded. So section 41 was given shortly after they arrived in Ohio, and Joseph was basically asking the Lord for guidance on what to do now, Um, and especially now that he's arrived to this group of saints that was doing, were doing things in kind of some uh, unusual ways and um, receiving revelations, which we know is not cool. Um, In this section, Edward Partridge is called as the first bishop. And in the primary DNC church manual, it says this about the bishop's first responsibilities. The bishop's first responsibility was to help the prophet provide for the physical and financial needs of the members of the church. Joseph Smith received other revelations in the next few months that helped Bishop Partridge know what else he was to do as bishop. Bishop Partridge was asked to help provide for the needy members of the church with food, clothing, and shelter. Members who had extra food or supplies were asked to share those with those who did not have enough. Bishop Partridge received and distributed these donations, keeping them in a storehouse where members could come. And another duty given to Bishop Partridge was to purchase and distribute land for individual homes and church buildings. He was also to be a judge in Israel. And this meant that if a member of the church did not keep all of the commandments, the bishop decided whether he or she could still belong to the church. So those were some of, of his responsibilities. So this bishop, this brand new bishop had lots of responsibilities and I can imagine that it was pretty overwhelming because there were lots of saints coming in who didn't have enough of the things that they needed. Okay. So one of my favorite parts of section 41, where the Lord is reminding them to continue to pray, to receive the law in verses two through three, it says, hearken, O ye elders of my church, whom I have called, behold, I give unto you a commandment that ye shall assemble yourselves together and agree upon my word and by the prayer of your faith ye shall receive my law that ye may know how to govern my church and have all things right before me i love that the law wasn't just given and it tells them to assemble themselves together and agree upon my word meaning being unified in jesus christ 
And I think we can apply that to our own lives. Sometimes we aren't just given things. We aren't just told exactly what to do. And we are told that we need to continue to be faithful and to ask and continue to ask. And then in the Lord's timing, because the Lord could have given the law to Joseph Smith before they came out to Ohio, but instead he has a wise purpose in having them wait and continue to ask and be faithful. So then in section 42, the Lord follows through on his promise to give the law. The Lord says in verse three, for verily I say, as ye have assembled yourselves together according to the commandment wherewith I commanded you, and are agreed as touching to, touching this one thing, and have asked the Father in my name, even so ye shall receive. So the cross reference for the phrase touching this one thing is Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, which says that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So the 12 elders of the church have gathered together and they're all agreed upon this one thing that they would like to ask the father in the name of Jesus Christ for the law because the, and because they were unified in that thing, the Lord did not hold back and they are given the law. Now there's a lot given in this law and I'm not going to even attempt to try and cover all of it. The one part I do want to focus on is the law of consecration. It says in the come follow me manual for this, these sections Quote, an important part of the law revealed in section 42 is what came to be known as the law of consecration and stewardship. This law taught the saints how they could, like the followers of Christ anciently, have, quote, all things in common with no poor among them. Saints consecrated their property by giving it to the Lord through the bishop. The bishop returned to them what they needed, usually what they had consecrated and more. Members donated their surplus to help the poor. This law was a great blessing to the saints, especially those who had left everything to come to Ohio. Many saints were generous in their donations, and though we do it differently today, Latter-day Saints still live the law of consecration. As you read, ponder how you can consecrate what the Lord has given you to help build his kingdom and bless those in need. So this is what I want to talk about today. How are we doing at living the law of consecration as we are directed to do so today? And I want to touch lightly on something that's indirectly spoken of in this section that is very inseparable from the law of consecration, and that's the law of sacrifice. President Hinckley once told a story about a young naval officer from Asia who was over in the United States for some advanced training. And while he was over here, he was in introduced to members of the church, and he gained a testimony and was baptized. President Hinckley tells this story about his interaction with this young man. He was introduced to me just before he was to return to his native land. We spoke of these things, and then I said, Your people are not Christians. You come from a land where Christians have had a difficult time. What will happen when you return home a Christian, and more particularly, a Mormon Christian? His face clouded, and he replied, My family will be disappointed. I suppose they will cast me out. They will regard me as dead. As for my future and my career, I assume that all opportunity will be foreclosed against me. I asked, are you willing to pay so great a price for the gospel? His dark eyes, moistened by tears, shone from his handsome brown face as he answered, It's true, isn't it? Ashamed at having asked the question, I responded, Yes, it's true. To which he replied, Then what else matters? Close quote. Now, most of us today are not asked to give that kind of sacrifice, but there are people out there in the world who are boldly and bravely 
defending the name of Jesus Christ and their testimony in him. And I love that story of that young man and what he said, then what else matters? The first great commandment is told to us in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And then we are told in John fourteen fifteen, if ye love me, keep my commandments. What are we as members of the literal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are commanded to serve with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength asked to do? In Bruce R. McConkie's talk called Obedience, Consecration, and Sacrifice, he said, We are the Lord's people, his saints, those to whom he has given much and from whom he expects much in return. We know the terms and conditions of the plan of salvation, how Christ died for our sins, and what we must do to reap the full blessings of his atoning sacrifice. We have covenanted in the waters of baptism to love and serve him, to keep his commandments, to put first in our lives the things of his kingdom. In return, he has promised us eternal life in his Father's kingdom. We are thus in a position to receive and obey some of the higher laws which prepare us for that eternal life which we so sincerely seek. Accordingly, I shall now set forth some of the principles of sacrifice and consecration to which true saints must conform if they are ever to go where God and Christ are and have an inheritance with the faithful saints of ages past. It is written, He who is not able to abide the law of a celestial kingdom cannot abide a celestial glory. The law of sacrifice is a celestial law. So also is the law of consecration. Thus, to gain that celestial reward, which we so devoutly desire, we must be able to live those two laws. Sacrifice and consecration are inseparably intertwined. The law of consecration is that we consecrate our time, our talents, our money, and property to the cause of the church. Such are to be available to the extent they are needed to further the Lord's interest on earth. But what the scriptural account means is that to gain celestial salvation, we must be able to live these laws to the full if we are called upon to do so. Implicit in this is the reality that we must, in fact, live them to the extent we are called upon to do so now. Joseph Smith said, A religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary to lead unto life and salvation. Close quote. Wow, that's got a whole lot of good stuff packed into it. So it seems like an important thing to analyze within ourselves. Are we currently living the law of consecration to the extent that we are asked to do? And would we, if we were required to live the law of consecration to its fullest extent, would we be able to do that? And the best way to measure if we would be able to do it is if we are doing what we are required to do right now. So let's talk about what we are asked to do. And I feel the need to preface all of this by saying that we are also not commanded to run faster than we have strength. We are taught that there is good, better, best. We have responsibilities that probably at times feel like that they are competing. And you will constantly have to decide what is most important right now. And we also have the atonement. And so in order, I think, to qualify or in order to be living the law of consecration as we are asked to do right now to its fullest extent, that doesn't mean that we do it perfectly, but it means that we use the atonement as we try our best to live the law of consecration as we are asked to do right now and use the atonement for those times 
and with the things that we struggle with and where we don't do it perfectly because by doing that, he makes our effort in living the law of consecration whole. All right, so the first one, our time. We need to be consecrating our time. This is such a tricky one, and it's one that I have really struggled with. My personality is one that is prone to laziness. I am often easy on myself. I have so many friends who are really hard on themselves, but I would say I'm the opposite and maybe the opposite to the extreme where I'm a little too easy on myself sometimes and feel justified in my leisure. Now, this is not to say that there's anything wrong with some self-care, relaxation, and enjoyment, but the question that I always come back to for myself is if there is a proper balance there. Is there too much leisure? Am I spending too much time enjoying myself that it is causing me to regularly use time that should be used for more productive things like preparing for this podcast or cleaning my house or reading my scriptures? One that I often think about with myself is in the morning when I usually put on a show for my only little one that's still at home during the day, usually, I should usually use that time to get something done like cleaning my house or reading my scriptures or work out or do something else productive. But sometimes, and I don't think it's bad for me to do this every once in a while, because of course I think every mom needs a little time out. But toward the beginning of the day, I know what my bandwidth is. I know that I can, and I I don't really need like an emotional rest yet generally. And so I know that if I do something productive that that's going to help the rest of my day go smooth. But sometimes I find myself using that time in an unproductive way that ultimately does not end up making me happy, like mindless social media scrolling or something else equally unproductive. (laughs) And then when she's done with her show, I still have all of those productive responsibilities that I should have done and I still need to do, but now I'm stressed out about them because I feel like I should pay attention to her. And then I start my day feeling unhappy because if I play with her, I can't stop thinking about what else I need to do. And if I do the other things, the responsibilities that I need to do, I feel guilty for not playing with her because I know that I could have done that instead of sit on the couch and scroll on my phone. Now, I think about this time management conundrum with my calling as well. I am a primary teacher, and it's a calling that I have had many, many, many times throughout the years. It's my most frequent calling. And often, when we actually are going to church and doing second hour, it's Sunday morning, and I haven't thought about my lesson all week. But they're kids, and I'm pretty good at putting things together at the last minute, so I quickly read through the lesson and figure out what to talk about. Do you think that the Lord is super pleased with me in these moments? He knows if I had time, and ultimately, I know if I had time. And usually, most of the time in my life, I did. And I just chose to use my time unwisely. I decided to watch a show, not just one evening with my husband, but four nights last week. Could I have taken an hour during one of those evenings and sat down and prepared? Yep, I sure could have. What about your ministering responsibilities? Did I take the time to go to Target and wander around for two hours looking at everything I want to buy? Yup. But then did I take a few minutes to reach out to the sister I was assigned to look after and make her feel remembered and loved and special? Nope. Then let's talk about temple attendance. This is something that my husband and I have always just stunk at. 
And I think it is one of the things that many of us are most excited about getting better at now that we haven't been able to go to the temple. I am so excited to go back. But pre-COVID, did we take the time to go on a weekly date? Yep. Did we make one of those dates every month to go to the temple? Nope. Now, notice that all of these things that are replacing my responsibilities, they're not bad things. I'm not bad for wandering around Target or going on non-temple dates with my husband, but I know when my time is being used in a righteous way, and I never want to be afraid of calling myself out on it. Now, I want to add, especially since I have a daughter that struggles with OCD subtype scrupulosity, look that up if you want to know what it is, that everyone is different. Everybody's minds work in a different way. I feel like some people pretty easily see the balance that they should be striking and are able to be hard on themselves when they should be and able to be gentle with themselves when it's appropriate. But I know that there are many of you out there who struggle with guilt if you are doing anything that is self-indulgent or could be seen as wasting time. And I can just hear my daughter as I say these things But mom, how do I know if I'm doing it well enough? How do I know when it's okay to relax? And that's a hard question because everyone's lives are different at any given point. And I think the Lord expects different things of my time than the time of a brand new mother or someone suffering with depression. And if you feel like this question is something that you never can feel at peace with and is causing you a lot of emotional distress, I am a firm believer in prayer and also therapy. I've been to a lot of therapy, and I know that this particular thing where you feel like you can never know if you're being good enough or doing good enough, it is something that religious people struggle with, and no one should have to live like that. It's just torture. So if you need help with that, don't be afraid to ask for it. All right, the next one, our talents. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want you to answer them in your own head as I ask them. What are your talents? Are you not using your talents and therefore losing them? Are you hiding your talents because you are afraid of criticism or failing? Are you hiding them because you don't want to be asked to do more? Are you leading a life that will facilitate the nurture, discovery, and development of new talents? For me, Something I have always loved is teaching. My dream calling was always Relief Society teacher. I just always think that I I have been a Relief Society teacher before, although I didn't get to stay for very long because then I got called to do something else. It was always being a Relief Society teacher. And I know some people think I'm crazy for that, but I just love teaching, which is, you know, probably why I have been led to do this podcast. But I never wanted to be a Sunday school teacher because I always felt that that would require that I be more of a scriptorian and that I am not. But you know what I'm always called to do? I am always, nearly always called to be a primary teacher. And I have always been, very wrongly, less excited about that. The lessons to me never seem fun to prepare because you can't talk to them like they're adults. I know that some people love and thrive on talking to kids but I wouldn't say that it's something that I just naturally get excited about. Now, I don't think I'm bad at it. I think I do just fine. But I've spent many years wasting a talent that I think I have in teaching 
by not trying a little harder to be a better primary teacher. I knew I wasn't doing my best, and the Lord knew it too. And then I was inspired to do this podcast, which is kind of in the same genre as being a Relief Society teacher, and I felt a little bit like a hypocrite because I have spent many years, like 15 years, being a subpar primary teacher. And now, now that I'm getting to do something that I'm excited about and that I love, now I'm willing to follow through on this but not be a great primary teacher. I know, logically, in my own head, I know that being a primary teacher is just as important and honorable. And so why am I willing to give my all to this, to this podcast, but not to primary? Did I not trust Heavenly Father enough to believe that being a primary teacher was was just as important? So ask yourself with your own talents, with your own abilities, are you willing to use those talents and abilities for anything the Lord calls you to do? Or are you willing to only do it and give it your all when it's something you're excited about? Who knows what I could have gotten out of being a primary teacher for the last 15 years. I for sure did not take full advantage of it. What growth opportunities did I miss? What children did I fail to serve as fully as I could have? And as I have done this podcast for the last six months or so, I have gotten so much more excited to teach my primary class because I'm really seeing the blessing of using my talents, the blessings of using my talents. And now the Lord is helping me improve as a person through the use of those talents. But in my 15 years as a primary teacher, I have never thought of my calling as terribly important. But now I feel like I'm seeing my little primary class for the first time. And as I actively consecrate my talents to the Lord, he is expanding them and my spiritual and emotional maturity to understand their impact, even in the smallest situations, is giving me a purpose that I have never felt before. So think, what are your talents? And don't tell me none, because I know that that's not true. The Savior in the parable of the talent says to his profitable servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I wonder what earlier opportunities I missed by not showing the Lord I was willing to give my all to my primary class earlier. Because he says here, thou hast been faithful over a few things. So if I had been faithful over my primary class, would I have been given other opportunities to use those talents in ways that I would have been really excited about if I had shown him that I was willing to be faithful over over my primary class? I don't know. I'll never get to know. And I am just now beginning to really see the blessings that come from embracing the use of my talents to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. And I bear my testimony that as we do that, our talents begin to expand Our understanding of the impact we can have is clarified, and we are given joy in the use of those talents. The last one for the law of consecration is consecrating our money and possessions. Now, there's obviously one way we can make sure that we are beginning to do this, and it's tithing. So ask yourself, am I a full tithe payer? And am I paying it with a faith-filled and willing heart? And I think that's the most important part. And then beyond tithing, my mind goes to my possessions and money. And I've talked about this before in previous episodes, but I like to honestly ask myself the question, how much space in my heart 
is occupied by my money and possessions? Or how tightly is my heart holding to my money or possessions? And I think a good measure of that is how much time our minds, our brains spend on those things. And because I think of this question fairly frequently, it's something that my brain really notices when I'm doing it, when I am spending way too much time thinking about material things. My brain already knows that that's a question I should be asking myself. And if I'm doing it, I get a little red flag in my brain saying, I think you're thinking about this too much. And I think that's not just my brain, that's the spirit. So that is a good question to ask for yourself. How tightly is my heart holding on to my possessions and money? And how much time is my mind spending thinking about those possessions and money? That's how I measure it anyway. And this all harkens back to what Bruce R. McConkie said when he said, But what the scriptural account means is that to gain celestial salvation, we must be able to live these laws to the full if we are called upon to do so. Implicit in this is the reality that we must in fact live them to the extent we are called upon to do so now. We must be able to live these laws. So for now, the best way to tell if that is true for you is if you are currently living them to the extent that we are called to do. With that in mind, I want to end with what Bruce R. McConkie said about the law of sacrifice. The law of sacrifice is that we are willing to sacrifice all that we have for the truth's sake, our character and reputation, our honor and applause, our good name among men, our houses, lands, and families, all things, even our very lives if need be. Following the Savior is not for the faint of heart, and it's going to get harder. It will require complete surrender to His will. And you know what? It'll be worth it. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.